Amen. Well, we continue today in week four of our six-week series, which means we're over halfway there. So if you're tired of hearing Ephesians, we're almost there, but I don't know about you, but I'm enjoying it and being challenged by it. Well, in week one, in case you missed it, let me do a quick recap. In week one, we talked about the fact that we are a part of a new story in Christ. Paul reminded us that he is no longer Saul. He is no longer a part of that old story. But now he's been given a new name. He encountered Christ and he's now part of a new story. Well, then Paul's good news to us was that we too take on a new story when we encounter Christ. And then he tells us that the the will of God in all things is unity. But then he tells us good news again and tells us that the good news about that is that it's not on our power, but it is through the power of the Holy Spirit that we may be united. And then his little catch there on the end was, and being full of the Holy Spirit, may you never cease living lives of worship and gratitude for that Spirit. So that was in chapter 1. Week two was all about the fact that that Jesus has broken down the wall of hostility and offers peace. This peace does not mean that we will all think the same, but rather that this peace allows us to live in diversity and be better because of diversity. We have to stop bickering over things that aren't essential to salvation. Last week we talked about chapter three, which really put the ball in our court that as the church, that we are the way in which the mystery of Christ is revealed to the world. So I hope that these have been challenging to you and caused you to think and pray about the ways in which God would use you to to unite the church, to be a part and to play a role. Well, today we dive into chapter 4, which finally turns that corner. So the first three chapters are kind of sectioned together. And then chapter 4 begins, and Paul seems to kind of pivot here. And, And he's essentially saying, okay, now that I've told you all of those things... Here's what you can do about it. So today we'll read from chapter 4, beginning at the first verse, and we'll read all the way through verse 16. Ephesians 4, starting in the first verse. I invite you to stand today in honor of the Lord's word, if you're able. As a prisoner of the Lord, we heard that in chapter 1. As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We've heard this before. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, to equip his body for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. 
Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speak the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord, and we say, thanks be to God. You can be seated. So again, these first four verses of chapter four, they really sum up all that we've just heard. They sum up uh, the previous three chapters. Paul's a prisoner. We need to live into our new story. We need to be humble and patient with one one another in love, quit bickering about hot dogs, and we need to be united in the spirit. Got it. We've covered that thoroughly. But Paul seems to say it again. And all I can say is that repetition is important. He's saying it because it's important. Parents, you say things to your kids multiple times because they're important. So Paul realizes that we've probably read the rest of the letter, but he still feels the need to say it again. Make sure we got it. Then what's kind of new for us today is is that Paul says there's one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. So let's talk about all of these individually for just a second here. One body, the big C church. It's not that different churches or denominations are their own bodies and together we make a group of bodies that follow Jesus. No, we're one body, one spirit. The same spirit that speaks to you is the same spirit that speaks to all. This means that the body is relying on each part to be in tune with that spirit that unites us. Again, we've we've heard this. One Lord, Jesus is the way into the body. We have one faith in Christ, which is what allows us to set aside our differences, right? That we're united in that one faith. We share one baptism. As I preached leading up to our Easter baptisms, when someone is baptized... We're participating with them because those are the same waters in which we were baptized. That is the way in which we enter the body, through the waters of baptism. And ultimately, all of this brings us into knowing the one and only true God. In the last year and a half, I think we've all done quite a bit of evaluating what's important to us. Essentially, what's happened in this last year was that our busy schedules really defined who we were, and those were stripped bare. We had to sit at home and figure out how we would spend our time. We had to figure out the, the places in which we had spent a lot of time that really didn't even seem very important anymore. So we sat, and we sat, and for us, we built a chicken coop, but then we sat again, And we piddled around the house. Most of you worked from home and attended meetings virtually. It would have been different had this lasted two weeks. But that wasn't the case. Most of us experienced months of this. And are still experiencing some of these in some ways. In our quiet loneliness, you might have been wondering, where do I fit in? What's my role? Everything that I was 
doing that I thought was giving me meaning is gone. And now I just kind of simply question everything. Verses 11 and 12 should really be helpful for us today. Verse 11 says, So Christ himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, the pastors and teachers, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So we all have, have different gifts. Some are called to be apostles. So let, let's talk through what some of these mean. Apostles, who were they? They were devout followers of Christ who ultimately spent their time learning, being stumped, and really hashing it out with each other to try to fully understand what this Jesus guy was saying. Has anybody watched or been watching The Chosen? It's a TV show about the life of Jesus. Can you raise your hand if you have? I'm just interested to see if anybody's kept up. It's only a handful. I encourage you to watch it. It's online. It's free. And don't think like really old, cheesy acting and bad setup of Jesus. It's a really good portrayal of Scripture. But not only that, but I think The Chosen has really done well on showing us the disciples and the apostles. Because what they do is they walk along the road and Jesus does something and they're all kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then when Jesus walks away, they're all kind of like, okay, so now what? What, what? They're confused, they don't understand, and they begin to work with one another and try to figure out what this Jesus guy is doing. So some of us are simply called to be apostles, to study the word, to follow Christ, and to really begin to work at what ways in what ways is Christ changing who I am, changing how I act? Some are called to be prophets. Well, we seem to really have a negative connotation with, the word, with that word in some cases. Have any of you ever heard of Edgar C. Wisenant? Okay, probably not. But you might, have remem- you might remember his book. Edgar was a theologian of some sort in the 70s and 80s. And in the 80s, Edgar wrote a book called On Borrowed Time, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Happen in 1988. Maybe you read that book. Maybe you still have a copy. If you do, I would love to borrow it and read it. Needless to say, he sold a ton of copies. Lots of copies. And, And I'm not judging him that he did that. But the funny part is, is that when the rapture didn't happen in 88, he wrote another book. (laughs) And the next book was The Final Shout, Rapture Report, 1989. And wouldn't you know it, he sold a ton of copies. That's just where it gets humorous. He made so much money off of the first book that he wrote another one the following year, even though his guesses were completely off in the first book. And people still bought the second book. And if you get on Amazon and look this book up, it's on there right now for sale for like $500. I have no idea why. Um, so if you have one and you need a little cash, <laughs> you could easily dump it off for $250, i am sure. Uh, but I'm, I'm not here to bash him. I, I don't know him. He's probably a great guy. And... I hope that he really did have good intentions and just he wasn't just trying to make money. But looking back, 
it's kind of easy to look at it and chuckle. But what I do want to say is that that's not what being a prophet is. It's not what it's all about. Guessing the future and hoping that it happens is not being a prophet. You see, a prophet, as the Old Testament describes, is a mouthpiece. A prophet is someone who speaks on behalf of God. This is an extremely important role in the body. We, we just have to be careful of what we think of when we hear prophet. There are other denominations that give people the title prophet, and they're not meaning that that person is trying to tell you what's coming in your life. Other denominations use that term as a mouthpiece for God. So a lot of times it would be the person speaking. So I don't want us to have a negative thought every time we hear the word prophet. Uh, because it, it really just depends on what you mean when you say it. The evangelist is important. Because they're the ones who are willing to spread the word. This doesn't have to be someone who travels formally speaking to large groups of people. Or singing to large groups of people. Or even preaching. But really, in a sense, we're all evangelists. We're sharers of the gospel of the good news. The pastors are shepherds and teachers are the ones who do feel called in some formal sense to take a role in helping the other members of the body thrive in their gifts. The gifts of pastor and teacher are gifts that are strictly for the benefit of the members of the body. And as Paul says, the point of this, of all of these, is to equip the saints for ministry and acts of service. I know those might have sounded self-explanatory, but you really fall into one of those categories. As I said, even if you see yourself as an apostle, as someone who's just here to, to study and to grow and to learn, you as an apostle play a role in the church. Because what happens in discipleship groups is that we sit and we talk and we ask questions and we think and we just you know throw around ideas and we're not claiming that we have it all figured out and and when that happens, the Spirit uses each other to build each other up in somewhat of an informal way. Either you're speaking on behalf of God, teaching or sharing the good news with others, or you're an apostle, someone journeying with Jesus and trying to figure out what it is that God is calling us to. And if we want to read Paul carefully, we need to realize that there's no order of power or authority in these gifts of the church. So often we think that the pastor is the head, and all the other parts just kind of do what the pastor says. Well, one of the things that I really like about the Church of the Nazarene is that in our denomination, did you know that we don't hire pastors? You did not hire Pastor Gary, you did not hire me. But in the Church of the Nazarene, we call pastors. The board calls a pastor because we believe that we're listening for what God wants because guess what? This is Christ's church and not our church. So we're listening with God to see who God could be calling to us. So when we call a pastor, we're not just hiring them to do a job, but we're really leaning into, is this who God is calling here? Not me, not Gary, not Kyle, not our general superintendents, nor the president, nor the pope, but Christ. Christ is the head. And as I finish week three in the current role that I'm in here, I am beyond thankful to tell you, church, that this is not my church and that this is Jesus' church. Why? Because that means that I'm not the end-all, be-all. 
I'm simply gifted in certain ways that edify the body. What Paul is saying to us is that you are too. If this church was just built around what I can do, we would never accomplish anything. Church, you are important. If you're just attending church as a consumer, then you're missing out. While you might be new here and trying to figure out kind of if we're crazy or not, that's understandable. But if you claim us to be your church home and you're not using your gifts, then you're, you're hindering the growth. You're hindering the strength of this body. If a football team has an amazing quarterback, but no one else comes to practice and only shows up on Sundays, the team is going to be a hot mess. Your gifts matter. It's my job to help you find those and nurture those and be equipped in those. But I cannot serve for you. And if I did, I wouldn't be here long. It'd give me a matter of weeks, and I would be burnt to a crisp, and I would say, man, I'm going to go work in a factory and make some money. It may sound like I'm ranting here, but I want you to see that Paul is writing this because he's seen it all too much already, even in these early days of the church as we know it. People expect better but want someone else to do the work. This is true no matter how large our local church is. Whether we're talking about our church with the 150 people that are here today. That was a joke. All right. With our 150 people here today, or Free Chapel or 12 Stone with their thousands. If everyone in those churches was using their gifts to edify the body it would be a different community. We also have to remember, as Paul just told us, that that there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. This means that we are one church. So what am I getting at? If you're not serving and using your gifts in some way, you're not only letting down the 200 people gathered here today. Keeps growing, right? Right? You're not only letting down these people, but you're hindering the church universal. You're hindering the church around the world, the big C church. You know what Free Chapel doesn't have? They don't have Mark Miller. You know what we don't have? We don't have Kevin Myers. We don't have Jensen Franklin. But you know what the church of Jesus Christ has? It has Kevin Myers. It has Jensen Franklin, it has Mark Miller, it has Ryan Watt, it has Andy Brooks, it has all of us. We are one. And you know what? That's good news. When we participate in this body, it's so much larger than we could ever imagine. So much larger. And if if you want to get a glimpse of that, just talk to Jeff as he's working with people around the world trying to plant churches all around the world right now. He has a great grasp of, holy cow, it's just everywhere. And he could tell you stories and, and things. It's so much bigger than we could ever fathom. But what, what happens when we begin to serve and we actually begin to live in what God is calling us to? The scripture this morning tells us we grow up. Paul says that 
we don't just linger on as an infant, but rather as the body, we begin to grow up when we use our gifts. So as many of you know, and if you don't know, there's a new dog in our home. So last Monday, Brittany was walking Bear, our lab. Let me rewind just a little bit here. So if you're unfamiliar, I meant to have a picture this morning and I just forgot, but if you're unfamiliar, we currently have three dogs living in our house. We have a Pomeranian, our little pride and joy Sawyer, who sleeps in the bed and he's spoiled. We have our, our lab mix, who will literally love you to death. And then we have Sophie, who's a great Dane and can see what you're cooking on the stove without being on her back legs. So that's kind of the dynamic of our house. Sophie's the youngest and she's four, so the order in our house is really established. They, they know each other. They know I can play with you to an extent. I cannot play with you, what we do, when, and how. So that's established. But last week, Brittany was walking bare, and she was walking up the street, and this puppy, little adorable puppy, comes running out of the woods right up to her. And just kind of sat at her feet and looked up at her and just droopy puppy dog eyes, just the heart melts. And so she FaceTimes me and I was in a meeting with Gary and all Gary could do was shake with laughter. Because he knew what was going to happen as I knew what was going to happen. So our, our road is kind of busy and the dog was literally on this curve up a hill And that dog was going to get hit by a car, regardless of what you think about taking in a puppy. It was going to get hit by a car. So Brittany brings it home, and uh, we frantically begin to search for the owners. I took it around the neighborhood and talked to anybody that was outside. Brittany was posting on social media about, you know, and different groups that are for found animals. Well, nothing that day, and so we went to bed hopeful. At least I did. And... We, we woke up the next morning and Brittany had received a message or a comment on one of the posts overnight and a person shot an address and said that puppy lives at that house which was two houses up the road from us, just around the hill. And uh, a house that we can't see from our house so that's why we had never seen the puppy. So we go up, she runs up there but the people are already gone at work and we know those people have kids so they were at school so we were like, well... He's got to stay here for the day. So he stayed at our house for that day. And when evening came, uh, Brittany took him up to the house. And the kids were just so, so excited. And it was just great. The dog was home. Well, the, the dad was just so happy. And Well, we go to bed. I wake up the next morning to go direct traffic. And uh, I head off to work. And... As soon as I finish directing traffic, I get a call from Brittany. And she says, guess who was in the fence this morning when I let the dogs out? There sat the puppy. In in our fence somehow, he had pushed a gate open and got in. And he was ready for playtime. He was ready for all of our dogs. Well, the people were already at work, gone to school. So the puppy stays at our house for another day. Well, that evening rolls around about 6 o'clock, and so, well, well they got to be home. So we take them up there, we drop them off. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Cool. Well, we sit down. I was working on something at the kitchen table, and 
not ten minutes later, I see that puppy walk past our back door. And I thought, oh my goodness. Puppies. So I go and I let him in the gate. And Brittany's like, well, take him back. And I said, no, no, no. I said, this is just going to keep happening. So I walk up and I talk with the owner. And, and the kids were trying to talk to me. And I said, no, I need to talk to your dad. I need to talk to your dad. And I explained to him very politely how, you know, in Hall County, if your dog's not on a leash or in a fence, it's illegal now. You can, the police can come, take your dog. Dog's gone. Kids don't have a dog anymore. So I explained that to him and just said, I'm not going to call the police, but somebody's going to, and this dog's going to disappear. And uh, he was like, okay, okay. So he sent his son with me to come pick up the dog, and I said, what, what's your dad going to do? And he said, oh, we're going to give the dog to our cousin. I said, oh, okay. Well, the son takes the dog back up the hill, and sure enough, I tell Brittany the news, and she's heartbroken, and then she thought that they don't really mean that, do they? They're not really going to give it to their cousin. They were just trying to get us off their case. And I said, well, maybe, I don't know. So eventually she says, can we just go ask if we can have it? And so we formed an agreement that we could go ask said question if we continuously look for a new home for the puppy. So that was our agreement. So we walk up there and rather... Easily, the dad says, oh, you want him? Sure. And gave us the dog. And the dog food back that we had bought for said dog. <laughs> and uh, so we walk him back. And so at that point, we realize, okay, now we had been calling him Winston. And we found out his name was Hunter, but we liked Winston better. So now we start calling him Winston. Uh, a couple days, just two days later, Brittany sends me a picture of him in the car. And he's got his collar He's got a little tag that says Winston, and on the back, it's got her phone number. And uh, so, but something interesting happens when, when you've already got dogs, and you bring a puppy in, and you're reminded of what it's like to have a puppy. Uh, you know, puppies they, they they follow other dogs pretty well. So if we didn't have our other dogs, this puppy would probably not be progressing as well as he is. He's doing very well. I'm, I'm not saying he's a bad dog whatsoever. But puppies do what puppies do. You let them out, bring them back in, they walk in the hallway and they go pee, right? That's just what they do. So you're frustrated, you clean it up. Well, they chew on things when you're not looking and then your shoes disappear, all that stuff. You guys know, puppies are puppies. But I've been given this this reminder that I, didn't, I never asked for, but it just came to me. The immaturity of a puppy, it shook up our whole economy of our house. The whole way that our house operates. It was operating so smoothly because everyone that was in there had matured and so they just knew how things worked church what Paul is saying to us this morning is that we can't keep acting like puppies <laughs> we've been gifted and we have a role in the body and if we all keep acting like a bunch of puppies 
No one will ever learn about the grace and economy of God, the way in which God does things, because they're just going to look at us and think, wow, look at those puppies, right? But there's something about when you see our great day, and we've had her in training and doing things, and there's something about when you see this massively large dog who's able to sit and you can put anything in front of her and she doesn't come after it. There's something about that that you realize she's matured. And wow, that's, that's impressive. That's different than what puppies do. So today, my challenge for us is Let's stop acting like puppies. Paul tells us when we all seriously begin to use our gifts and we begin to serve and act in ways that edify the other, we quit acting like puppies. We quit bickering over who gets this and who gets that and who chews on this and who chews on that. But rather we begin to mature. The term that Paul uses, we don't act like an infant. We use this term body of Christ all the time. But I don't know about you, I always picture it as a full-grown person. But what Paul is saying is that when we actually look at the body of Christ, sometimes we act like infants. We act like infants or toddlers. And we're just doing things that we shouldn't be doing. We're wasting time on things we shouldn't be wasting time on. All that to say... That if we're operating like we talked about last week in the economy of God, the way in which God wants us to operate, we're using our gifts to glorify the body. I was talking with someone this week. When we use our gifts, we will end up having needs. We will use our gift and it will leave some kind of hole in us. But that's the beautiful thing about the body. It's that then the next person who is using their gifts, can fulfill that hole, fulfill that need. If sweet baby Winston, if he was four years old, and he was doing these same things, I would be done. Church, Paul is telling us today that when Christ looks at his body, he doesn't need to see a puppy. He doesn't need to see an infant. He's looking for a mature body of Christ that can be about God's work in the world. As infants, we get away with some things. But as we begin to use all of our capacities, we begin to pick up on living in our environment. We learn how systems work. We learn purpose. When we as the church begin to learn what it means to live into our gifting, the scripture tells us that we will grow up. We stop making bad decisions out of ignorance and begin to learn what it means to really live in the economy of God. So today I urge you to begin to pray about the gifts that God has given you. What might your role be here in church? What might be our church's role in the overall economy of God? And let me put there, if you feel like your role is an apostle, 
that doesn't mean you can become a consumer. You as an apostle, that means the church can gain from my understanding, which means I need to plug into discipleship. I need to be sharing with others. I need to be a part of a group that is learning and growing together. And if there's not one that you want to be a part of, start one. What might our church's role in the overall economy of God be? Ask God to help you see what we could be if we lived into our gifts. Imagine how much we could grow up as a church. I can't tell you what that looks like, but oh, how I long to be a part of that mature body of Christ that can speak the truth in love and be present in a hurting world. When I think about us all using our gifts and serving and being united in one another, my brain automatically goes to Revelation chapter one, 20, chapters 21 and 22, the new creation Jesus is bringing in the world. And we can't just sit around and wait for Christ to return and bring it in fullness. But Christ is saying, hey, if you begin to grow up a little bit, you'll begin to see it here on earth as it is in heaven. We don't have to wait until we pass to gather around the throne without any need, lack, or want and proclaim holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But when we begin to serve in the ways that God is calling us to, we will find ourselves without need. We will find ourselves without want and we will find ourselves a body acting in the world that is singing one song and that song says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And church, that's a choir I'm ready to be a part of. Father, we ask today that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you. Lord, what would it look like if we were really united, if we were really using our gifts? What would it look like when hurricanes and destruction hits? What would it look like when terrorist organizations try to take over? Lord, we stand before you today saying we don't know. And we're sorry that we don't know the answer to that. But God, help us. Help us today not to rely on others, but to do our part. Help us not to be seen by the world as another body that acts like babies, complaining and moaning. But God, challenge us today. May we grow up in the big things and in the the smallest little details. Lord, we just want to see your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we won't see that when five of us are united. We won't see that when we, just us, are united as our own little church. God, when we become united and unite with the church universal, then we will begin to see 
the fullness of new creation in life. Lord, we repent of the ways in which we've acted like puppies. But God, may we not just be sorry, but may we ask for you to change us moving forward. So that you would be glorified. That it's not about me. It's not about those that are serving. But Lord, that we would truly be the church of the Nazarene. The church of the man that came from Nazareth. That the world thought there was nothing good that he could do. God, teach us your ways. We don't have all the answers. But Lord, mold our hearts, mold our lives to listen for that. So that we could be a mature body of believers. We ask this in the precious and holy name of Jesus, we pray. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Melt me, mold me. Melt me, mold me, fill me, use me, Spirit of the living God, I invite you to stand this morning and receive a blessing today, a blessing that may be an encouragement to you that it's only through that precious spirit that we can do anything that we've talked about today. So may the God that we sang about today, who is able to do abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine, may that very God through the Holy Spirit empower you today to be one united body of Christ, to serve and to live in this world. Go in his grace and his peace today. Amen.